The Today's Homeowner Radio Podcast is brought to you by The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Welcome to Today's Homeowner with Danny Lipford, your partner in home improvement. Everyone has questions about their home. We've got the answers, and we have a few laughs along the way. Informative, entertaining, and sometimes off the wall. Home improvement has never been this much fun. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Today's Homeowner Radio Show. Danny Lipford here along with my buddy Joe Truini. And, yes, you're at the right place for all the most practical, realistic, and current home improvement information you'll find anywhere. Matter of fact, talking about current home improvement information, I have my hands on a phenomenal ROI home remodeling study, and it's being released for the very first time right now. We're going to be able to tell you um, if you're thinking of investing in your home, what kind of return on that home improvement dollar might you get. We're going to share that with you in just a little bit. Also, we're going to talk about tips on insulating older homes. Pink ceramic tile. What can you do? The nostalgic factor is wonderful, but sometimes you really want to bring it into this century. So we'll tell you some of the options that you can do there. Also, a dripping shower head. Man, that drives me crazy when you see that. It can be easy to fix. We're going to help a homeowner out with that. We've got a lot of great emails, a lot of callers from all over the country. And my buddy Joe always has a great simple solution for us. I do indeed. It has to do with painting and how you can use an old egg carton, you know, the either styrofoam mm-hmm. or the cardboard cartons, how you can use them in your next painting project. All right, that sounds good. Well, if people are buying eggs, I mean, yeah, it's, right. it's it's so funny how little things like that start, you know, seeing it on just about every um, news program about the cost of eggs and everybody's theory as to why. And yeah. then, of course, online on Facebook and other things, you get everybody make you know joking about it and so forth. And uh, it's, it's not so kinda... funny when you go to buy a dozen eggs and they cost seven or eight dollars. Right. right. You, you remember that movie, uh, Scarface, and yeah. uh, Al Pacino yeah. sitting there at that big desk, and he had that big mountain of white powder drugs in front of him and so forth. And I saw a little clip online the other day of that same thing, but he had about 10 cartons of eggs piled up in front of him. <laughs> <laughs> so it just always, always baffles me when you They're see They're going to be delivered like in a Brinks truck to the supermarket pretty soon. <laughs> Hey, you know, Joe, something I was thinking about that I, that I was reading the other day What's um, that? on todayshomeowner.com. You know, we talk about all kinds of little homemade recipes and combining this and this, especially yep. vinegar and baking soda in so many different ways. Um, we had a little alert that we put out recently on things that you should not combine. And I thought I would run down them real quick. Oh, okay. Some of these are very common sense kind of things, but bleach and rubbing alcohol, that's a no-no. You know, you have these things there and they look like they would go together. Right. No, let's hold off on the bleach and rubbing alcohol as well as the bleach and ammonia. Oh, they yes. don't play together very well at yeah, all. That creates, I think that's the basis of mustard gas. The that's what I hear. World War yeah. One, right? Yeah, yeah. Don't do yeah. that. That's no, nothing, nothing good about that. Also bleach and vinegar is something that they say not to not to combine those. Also, if you're trying to get that clog out of the drains, um, mm-hmm. you know, when you, you use a drain cleaner, um, you know, some people say they work, it works perfectly. My experience has never worked, but never try to combine two drain cleaners at right. the same time. That's a, another taboo. Also, Danny, I just want to say, if you are using those liquid drain cleaner, which are chemicals, people pour them in there, then they start plunging and they yank that plunger off. 
Yeah, oh. Chemicals sprays out, so you know, do not do that. I, I would never use those, but some people do. But just be careful if you use them because that splashes on you. That can burn your skin. Yeah, I'll tell you, I'll tell you one of those um, flexible drain brushes, they go by a lot yep. of different names, and some of them have kind of a real kind of Velcro-like surface on them. Others have mm-hmm. just little tiny hooks. But right, either way, yeah. take that strainer out of that bathroom vanity and run that down in there one time and pull it out. Yeah. Yeah, you better have a tough stomach because there's a lot of stuff that comes out of those drains. You never drains. know that's coming out. That's right. But, but one more combination you don't want to use is hydrogen peroxide and vinegar. So just a little caution here on some of these things. Make sure you read it carefully and know what you're pulling out of that pantry to put together because we do offer a lot of these kind of uh, comments. But Joe, this ROI study, you know, there's been studies out for over the years that have looked at things and you and I are kind of skeptics in a little bit, you know, we'll look at it and go, wait a minute, does that make sense? I'm not real sure. This study, um, which was based on interviewing 70,000 homeowners, not 1,200 realtors. That's right. Not just your neighbors. Right. Not just neighbors. This is a big, big study. And, um, you know, if if you're interested in this kind of thing, and you should be if you're about to spend some money on your home, you can go to todayshomeowner.com slash radio. Right there on the radio page, we'll have a link to this complete study. But some of the things that they mention here are, you know, on the average, remodeling projects have a 69% return on your investment. And surprisingly, again, garage door return replacement ranks the best. 100%. That is a surprise, right? 100% of your money back. I guess so many of the um, styles of homes these days with the lots getting smaller and right. people are, you know, building garages in front to try to elongate the houses a bit and so forth. Um, right. uh, maybe that's one of the reasons because it is so prominent on the house, but I always found that kind of unusual. And this research study shows that the thing that uh, ranks the worst in your return is finishing a basement. A finished that was basement. also surprising to me. What what I think about on something like that is it costs a lot more money than you think. When people say, "Well, hey, I right. got a, you know, I got a um, something overhead. I got something here. All the, well, how how much could it cost?" Oh boy. Well, then you get into yeah, right. the proper access and a staircase, a good what we call a code compliant um, staircase can cost a lot of money. Then you've got to have egress. You've got to have that way to get out. You're then, often dealing with moisture issues, right? Then you've got moisture, and also, anytime you've got walls, ceiling, and floor that you have to finish, and electrical, and drywall, and, of course, the 87-inch big screen TV. (laughs) (laughs) You have to to figure, how am I going to get it into the basement if I cut a hole in your house, right? So, you know, those are some of the things to, you know, consider that drives it up and everything, Tell us about another one of the findings that you saw in there, Joe. Well, I thought it was interesting, but it made sense when I thought about the average cost recovered for these exterior projects are 23% higher than interior projects. And I guess when you think about it, it's like, well, any exterior project improves a curb appeal of your home. So if you're trying to sell your home, obviously you're going to recoup more of that cost than if you repainted a bathroom that no one sees. So I thought that that was pretty interesting. It's 23% higher return for exterior projects. And then kitchen, in the kitchen, appliances and counters may help home values the very most. And I guess that's not surprising, right, Danny? We always say put money, if you're gonna, especially if you're selling your home, put money into the kitchens and the baths. That's, That's what right. everybody's but, looking for. However, it does point out that going for those really high-end um, luxury 
type of appliances and so forth or luxury items in your bathroom return less than 50%. Right. You so, can you overspend. Know, that's, that's, that's right. right. You can yeah. certainly overspend and, on any project. And right. you just won't get that money back. Of course, if that's what you want, if you want the big refrigerator or the chef level type stove and cooktops and things right. like that, yep. I mean, go for it. Just realize that you're, um, you know, doing it um, at a price, if you will. And so that's one of the things that we've seen quite a bit, but we've got a lot of things we want to share with you throughout this um, entire thing. And uh, uh, the, another thing, if you're living out on the West Coast, um, it shows that the Western states have the highest ROI across all of the 34 projects that they did in this study. It showed that it skews a little better out there for some reason. But I think we've got maybe a lot because of, more yeah. people are moving uh-huh. to those Western states. I think that might maybe be so. part of the reason, yeah. We've got a lot of other little tidbits we'll share with you on this. And again, you can go to todayshomeowner.com slash radio right now and be able to uh, see uh, the link to this whole entire comprehensive study. Just a fantastic, a lot of uh, infographs and things like that in there that really make it very, very interesting to you. Now, we want to hear from you, and we make it as easy as possible. If you'd like to send us an email right now, we're going to get to a lot of our emails in just a little bit. You can send us one by going to todayshomeowner.com slash ask or pick up the phone 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and call the Today's Homeowner Hotline, 800 946 4420. We'll share with you a lot of other tips, a lot of things that you can use. Joe's got a great simple solution and a whole lot of other things that we're going to be able to share with you. And also want to encourage you to uh, go ahead and get the Today's Homeowner Newsletter. It's something that almost 150,000 people get every single week, and you'll see why if you sign up right now. Todayshomeowner.com slash newsletter, and we'll send you one um, once a week right in your inbox so that you can stay up to date on all the things you need to know seasonally, as well as some great tips that we share there that we share nowhere else. Again, todayshomeowner.com slash newsletter. You're listening to Today's Homeowner Radio. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. We're just getting started. Today's homeowner is brought to you by The Home Depot. How doers get more done. And welcome back to the Today's Homeowner Radio Show. Heard coast to coast on some amazing radio stations like this one. WOCA 96.3 FM and 1370 AM in Ocala, Florida. Certainly appreciate all the folks there in and around Ocala listening in today. And if we can help you with any challenge you have around your house, go to that keyboard and type in todayshomeowner.com slash ask. Send us an email anytime or pick up the phone and give us a call 800-946-4420. Right now we're headed to Indiana. Phillip's on the line. Philip, welcome to the show and uh, tell us what's going on around your house there. Uh, yes, I've got a house that's about 150 years old, they tell me, uh, has the cement to shingle siding. I think that's what they're called. And I know back then they probably didn't put any insulation when they built houses back then, but there's quarter-sized holes all around on both levels where I assume they put some cellulose in at some point. Uh, My question is, I think I read somewhere or saw somewhere that that cellulose like all falls to the bottom eventually. How would a person either know that and then can you get cellulose through those little holes or would you use some kind of foam product? How would you do some insulation in a situation like that? All right. Well, Philip, if those holes are that small, I would certainly think it was some kind of foam. 
Right. Um, yeah. Cellulose is it has a little bit of bulk to it, and generally those holes for cellulose when they call, when they blow in what they commonly call a blow in blanket that has a little bit of um, glue mixed in with the cellulose to kind of hold it in place. Usually those holes will be at least two inches, something like that. So with the smaller holes, you can assume that it's foam. Now, let me ask you this. Do you have um, a high and low hole? Do you have one that's down, say, four or five feet up and another one up higher than that? Or do you have just the one at the top of the uh, wall section? There, there are two stories. So I've got one, you know, like above head level for the first floor and then I don't know how high the other one would be, but it's probably the same distance from where the second floor starts, I would assume. I'd have measured it. Well, the the thing about it is in um, um, most o- all of the older houses like that had a center span horizontal blocking, commonly called fire blocking. And um, that that's where they usually will have to drill a hole up high and fill up that top half of the wall and another one down below to fill up that um, bottom half of the wall. Now, they may know something here that I, you know, that I can't see, but uh, in terms of it being just one stud bay going down. But uh, what do you think on that, Joe, with the the shingles on the outside? You can't pry any of those off to peek right, in. Yeah. Um, in, in. Any thought for Philip here? Yeah, Philip, a house that old might be what they call balloon framed, which means there are continuous studs that go from the first floor straight up to the second floor. Then it would just hang the second floor off of those. So you'd have a very long stud bay going from the bottom floor right to the top floor. And they would put fire blocking, horizontal blocking between that. And that obviously would stop any insulation from dropping down. That's why there's almost always a hole at the bottom. Not only can they blow insulation up if they need to, but if they're pumping it in from the top, they'll see it, right? If it starts coming out that bottom hole, they'll realize there's no blocking. There's nothing impeding the insulation. So that whole stud bay has been filled. Without a hole at the bottom, I'm not sure how they know how much they even put in there. Because you might have only insulation halfway down and the whole first floor might not be insulated. And without opening up either the outside or the inside, it would be hard to tell. And I, I agree with Danny, a quarter size hole, I mean, it must be a foam, but I've never seen a hole that small with... Yeah, I haven't it's, either. It's usually like two, two and a half inches in diameter. So the only, I mean, it would be easier to open up the inside of the wall, easily patch it. Do you have plaster probably, I suspect, not drywall, right? You probably have plaster on the inside? <clears throat> Laugh and plaster, yeah. Laugh and plaster, yeah, isn't that fun to deal with? Well, there's no other way of knowing that I, that I can tell. Um, I guess they do have... Um, inspection cameras, they can drill a small hole and drop it down and take a look. I, I wonder about taking a baseboard off. You know, the house like that, I would assume, has a pretty substantial baseboard. That would be a lot of work off the plaster, but that'd be another yeah. way of checking. Sure. Yeah, it might be that you can score it real carefully on the uh, top part of that and kind of ease it off the wall, especially if it's a room that you may be planning on painting or something like that, and be able to at least peek in that one room and, and you know, be able to get an idea. And then if you have consistent insulation there, you can be pretty confident the rest of the house is good. Uh, these baseboards are about probably five, six inches tall. Yeah. That's what I figured. Yeah, they're no, no, Jilt, you could try doing Philip that I've I've done. I've tested for insulation. I didn't think of it till just now. Just drill a relatively small diameter hole, maybe quarter inch or a little bigger, and you slip a wire in there. Get like a clothes hanger, cut it so you have a straight piece, and bend a hook on one side so it's just you know a hook that you can still fit through the hole and pull it out, and just put it in there, wiggle it around, and yank it out. And if it comes out with insulation, you've got insulation. If it doesn't, and you'll hear it rattling around if it's mm-hmm. hollow. Because um, no matter what you have in there, if it, there any kind of insulation, you'll be able to hook it and pull out a little tuft. That's a good idea. Mm-hmm. And then you'll know. And this this will save you the trouble. You know, and then you can just patch that little hole with a little spackle or something. 
So, so you're talking about I, I on the inside, out. cut a hole on the inside? Yeah, on the inside, yeah. Right. Yeah. That that cement siding or shingles you talked about, I'm considering I, I'm a little concerned it might be asbestos siding, in which case you don't want to mess with that stuff at all. Mm-hmm. So um if that's what it is. Could you run a wire through one of those quarter size holes on the outside and would it pick up the insulation? Yeah, oh sure. But I'm not sure why you do it on the outside, because I would open it up to rain. And again, if that's asbestos siding, you're creating dust and you don't want to be breathing that dust. So I think I'd do it from the inside. Well, they've got plugs in each hole. They got plastic plugs. Oh yeah. Um, you so could try that. Yeah. That doesn't, that won't tell you if you have insulation down below though, because the holes are up high, right? Well, they have some on both floors, some on the first floor and some on the second floor. Oh, both. I see. Oh yeah. 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 yeah I, I would, would definitely try plastic. to access yeah, that absolutely. and see just yeah. what you see, to, yeah. see in there. Okay. And if, if there if it did need insulation with those small holes, I mean, does you call on a contractor to do that, or is there? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That yourself? Yeah, you could call around. I mean, so many people are doing the foam now that um, that you, you can call around and find someone that can do that retrofit foam. Yeah, and Phil, easily. if it is if it is foam that they sprayed in there, and you poke a, a wire with a hook on it, you won't pull out any foam because it'll be hard. But you'll see it if you pull oh, yeah. up, and you, you'll be able to see because I'm sure it filled up that hole. You'll see, you know, it looks like almost styrofoam blown in there, right? Okay. Okay, good. Good. Thank you. All right. Well, good luck. Hope you find lots of insulation. That's thanks, right. Guys. Okay. All thanks right. so much, Philip. Best of luck to you on that. Yeah, there are always mysteries, mysteries around the yep. house. Let's, let's go straight to an email that actually is another mystery. Emma in New York said, I recently had stone floor tiles installed in my kitchen. I now have mysterious spots on the stone that hmm. I can't remove. Any suggestion? You know, things could, especially stone materials, can get stained so easily. It can be, you know, I mean, a little bit of bacon grease, a little bit of something that you yep. track in and can get ground down in there very quickly if it's not sealed. One of the reasons that we recommend sealing any of those, you know, products and not necessarily to make it, you know, high sheen or high, very shiny as much as just to seal the pores so that stains won't get in. Any, any thoughts on that, Joe, in terms of maybe she could clean it off with something? Yeah, that's exactly right. There's so many different types of stone. Emma doesn't say what kind. Hey, Emma Stone. Emma doesn't say what kind of <laughs> what kind of stone this is, and some are much more porous than others and softer than others, as you alluded to. So um, I, I would start with a homemade solution. You could try just diluted white vinegar and water with a little detergent and scrub it. If that doesn't work, you can mix salt with warm water to form like a paste and use that to scrub it. Again, you have to be careful if it's a really soft stone and we don't know what this is. Um, otherwise, you'll just have to use a commercial stone cleaner. And the only thing I'll, I'll caution Emma about and anyone else listening is if you're going to use a commercial stone cleaner, read the label really carefully oh, yeah. mm-hmm. and make sure it's designed for the stone you have. Because um, not all stone cleaners clean all stones. And you know this is assuming you can identify the type of stone. Um, but th- that's about the best I can tell her is just, um, you know, move. If you can't do it with a homemade solution, get a commercial an app, a commercial cleaner that's um, designed for that particular stone. Well, it's certainly, certainly important, though, to, to do the research and choose the right thing. I yes. was just recently um, putting another coat cleaning and putting two more coats of sealer on the travertine stone I have around on my on my back porch and so forth. And pretty sizable area. So I did all kinds of research and oh boy, um, the number one thing they say, no vinegar of any kind. Mm -hmm. And for the most part, they just said dishwashing detergent. Yeah. 
you know, to clean it just to get anything that would prevent the new sealer from sticking to it. Hey, coming up, we're going to be talking about pink ceramic tiles. Do you have any in your house? Would you like to change it? Maybe kind of modernize it a little bit? We'll have some tips when we come back here on today's Homeowner Radio. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to today's Homeowner Radio. Here are Danny and Joe. And welcome back to the show where it's time for our best new product segment brought to you by the Home Depot. How doers get more done. You know, one of the most useful tools a DIYer can own is a good wet-dry vacuum. But, you know, dragging that cord around everywhere you need one can really be a hassle. So Ryobi developed their new one cordless 4.75 gallon wet dry vacuum kit with a powerful 40 CFMs of suction. This 4.5 gallon wet dry vac is ready to handle those big jobs without having to carry that cord around. The stainless steel tub rides on four caster wheels, which will rotate a full 360 to provide balanced mobility rolling along over any obstacle. It also features a collapsible handle that makes transportation to your messy place a lot easier. But it lays flat. Um, when you know you're storing it after the job is all done there's a built-in onboard storage for the telescoping wand and all the accessories plus the five foot flexible hose uses a twist lock to avoid accidental disconnection so there's no excuse not to clean up after yourself now so for more <laughs> for, for more information on this ryobi one cordless 4.75 gallon wet dry vacuum log on to homedepot.com or drop by your local Home Depot. I tell you, that's uh, one of the things. But Joe, let me tell you, um, if someone is using a wet dry vac to clean up a wet mess, people don't know to take the filter out. I I went to grab mine the other day and I heard it sloshing and all. And we had a a leaky refrigerator out out in my shop and and, uh, someone had dried it all up. And I opened that up and that Filter oh, was soggy yeah. and falling apart. I, That's the kind of thing you only do once. If you only, the, you only do it once, you realize, okay, I, I have to remember to take that out. As they say up in uh, Connecticut, hey, hey, hey. I thought I heard somebody yelling that. That was you. Okay. <laughs> hey, let's get right back to the Today's Homeowner Hotline. Bernice is on the line. Bernice, welcome to the show, and uh, tell us what's going on in that bathroom of yours. Uh, I have an older home, and one of my bathrooms, the tiles are pink, and it's not cost-efficient right now to change them out. So I wanted to know, can they be painted? And if so, what kind of paint should I use? Is it an easy job? Well, um, good question, because there's a lot of people that have those pink tiles, turquoise, harvest gold, and all these beautiful uh, stellar colors from the 60s and 70s or earlier. And it's funny, uh, Bernice, because I'm actually going to visit – um, a family this afternoon to, for consideration on our television show that has the exact same thing. I've seen all the pictures and the tiles in perfect shape. Everything looks good, but it is pink. So what we're, what we're going to look at doing, and I have done this successfully in the past, is simply to paint it with an epoxy paint. Now, I say simply, but it's not that simple because you really have to prepare the surface well to do a little bit of sanding, cleaning very thoroughly, and then lots of ventilation, applying um, the epoxy over it, which will cost a fair amount of money, but instantly everything's white, or I think these homeowners may want to go with a kind of a bone white, 
And um, we're going to give it a try. And I, I've done it before, and it works very, very good on the walls, uh, not recommended on the floor. Joe, any other suggestions on that? Yeah, Bernice, uh, is this tile, that's what I was going to ask, this tile on the walls, not the floor, but is it also inside the shower or tub surround, I assume, right? Not just outside the tub. It's on the walls and inside the tub. Okay. Yeah. Well, you certainly have to use um, either epoxy paint or they do make, manufacturers do make paint that's called tile paint. Sometimes it's called um, bath and tile paint, something like that. Um, But whatever paint you use, do make sure it's designed. Some people just use house paint or any acrylic paint and you really need something that's formulated for the, um, for tile. And because it's a pretty slick surface and that's why it's so important to sand it first, as Danny said, not only you're cleaning it off, you're roughening up the surface just a little bit and it'll help the, and you probably have to require a primer as well, but they help the primer and the paint stick a lot better. Can you do it? Yes. You know, um, how long is it going to last? Will depend on how, you know, how much the surface is exposed to scrubbing and people touching it and hot water and everything else. But yeah, you can do it. And it's not any more difficult than really painting anything else. All right. That sounds good. All right. Take it a step at a time. Make sure you cover up really well because you don't want that epoxy to get anywhere, you know, that you don't want it to get, you know. Okay. Okay. So how long would this take? Well, um, you'll have a little bit of drying time in there, but um, I, it's certainly something that could be done in the course of a weekend. Just a classic weekend project. And uh, do I have to do anything to the grout? Around the tub? Or? Uh, yeah, unfortunately, the grout between the tiles, you're just going to have to paint over. They really don't recommend, like, n- trying not to paint the grout or anything else. So you, so it's not going to obviously look like a traditional tile uh, job because you won't see the grout joints. But um, around the tub, um, you know, that should really be caulk, not grout anyway. So um, you wouldn't paint that, I would think, because that probably matches the color. Of the, is, the, is the tub pink, too? The tub is great. Oh, good. Yeah, I think I think Chelsea had a pink bathroom, and she decided uh-huh. to just um, because she she it's going to be for her daughter. She decided to just honor the pink and let That's her right. daughter honor the enjoy pink it. And actually, put some wallpaper on the yeah. walls and the ceiling that kind of tied it all together. I thought, oh Lord, this is going to be. <laughs> I don't know, what? but like so many times, she was right on that one. It looked great when it's all finished. I actually saw that thing. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. That's a, she called it a jewelry box because that's right. uh, the ceiling and the, the walls. ceiling, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Never heard of that one. But, but Bernice, just take your time on it um, and read the instructions real carefully. Uh, maybe some um, of those thin latex gloves while you're doing it to keep you from getting any of it on your hands. And I think you'll be real proud of your bathroom once you get it all wrapped up. Okay. Okay. Well, I thank you so much, you and Joe, and, and I well, hope you have a good day. Oh, well, you. You, you as well. Have yourself a good weekend. We appreciate you being a part of the show. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that is something, Joe. We're, I'm, I'm going to go over and take a look at this project, and we're yeah. talking about doing the same thing because so many people, you know, are interested in that. This particular house I'm going to, it looked mm-hmm. like this bathroom through the pictures had never even been used, and I think it's 1956. Oh. And, I mean, it is okay. just perfect. And yeah. of course the people, I know the people well, and they, uh, um, are, you know, very, very good housekeepers, keep things nice and clean, which is a big part of keeping a bathroom looking sure. good. So it'll be interesting. I think it'll be a great before and after picture that we're planning on transforming this thing. And, uh, and of course making an episode out of it. Well, it's certainly a lot less work than tearing it out and replacing it. And as we say with some projects, including this one, paint it and see if you like it. And it lasts, if it doesn't, then you can always tear it out. 
That's right. Yeah, well, you know, it's going to be a change. It's going to brighten it up, so yeah. it definitely will be more yeah, appealing. Yeah. We'll keep you posted on that show so that you'll get an opportunity to see it on the Today's Homeowner television show. You're listening to Today's Homeowner Radio. We'll be right back with more current home improvement information for you and your family. We'll be right back. Today's Homeowner Radio. Here are Danny and Joe. And welcome back to the show. Hope your weekend is going well. I'm Danny Lipford, along with my co-host Joe Trini, and we're trying to help people out all over the country with some of the challenges they have, just like Mike up in New Hampshire. Got a little leaky situation here. Uh, Mike, uh, tell us all about it, and welcome to the show. We moved in the house probably 18 months ago, and it's just one of the last things we've been trying to tackle now. And every time I move towards the the shower to get it done, it just overwhelms me because I don't know what I'm doing. So probably common for you guys, but it just drips constantly from the faucet head. It's a three-quarter bath. We're on a well, so I'm not really concerned about my water bill. That's probably the other reason why I've been uh, dragging my feet. But it, it drips all the time. Um, and sometimes I'll turn the knob with a little bit of force, and that will stop it a little bit. But what my trick usually is just turn the shower on quick and then and then turn it back off, and it will slow it. But sometimes it, it runs you know faster than others, so there's no real consistency to it other than the fact that it's always dripping. Right. Now, now is it the shower head that's dripping or the actual spout coming out of the wall? So it's an overhead, so it, it, nothing's coming from the handle. It's coming from the, the actual, you know, the shower head itself. Right. And approximately how old you said you've lived there 18 months? Is a house 18 months old or, or, or you moved into an existing house? Yeah, it's about, it was built in late two, early 2000. So I think maybe 2000, 2001. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because, you know, a lot of times you'll get just a little bit of debris and pe- it's amazing. People don't realize how much stuff is floating around in the water that we drink. And, you know, if you have maybe a, a, a water well, maybe you have even more in some cases where you have just something that's creating a problem with that plumbing seat and mm-hmm. that the little where the different um, controls, uh, is it a single lever or is it a, a double handle? It's a single, and that's the other reason, too, is I'm, I'm kind of motivated to change the whole thing because I can't stand it. I, it's ugly, so I, if, if there's an easier fix to just replace the whole thing, I'd rather just do that because I, I don't like the setup. But that's probably why I'm not fixing it because every time I get in here, I'm like, well, what's the longer-term thing I'd rather do than just a short, you know, kind of stopgap? Well, Joe, uh, you think on that single handle, you know, we talk about that little Teflon ball that's in there yeah, yeah. and the slightest little bit of debris or often the case that'll have just a tiny split in it. Of course, you have to turn the water off to the house in order to access that. But boy, that little that little thing's pretty easy to pop out and pop another one in, even though it is, you know, 20 plus years old. Uh, what would you recommend on that, Joe? Yeah, Mike, when, when you'd mentioned that sometimes you can crank the handle a little bit and it slows it or stops it that seems to indicate that there's that the cartridge there's a there's a shower inside the valve itself so this has nothing to do with the shower head but in the valve or behind the handle 
there's a uh, shower cartridge that's inside that handle and it controls the water volume, the temperature and, and the balance pressure. So if someone flushes the toilet, you don't get a, a bunch of hot water. So, and those cartridges do go bad, especially after 20 years, there's a little seal in there. If the seal is worn, you're on a well, you might have, I'm on a well as, as well. And uh, I live in Connecticut and I'm on a well. And if a little bit of debris, like Danny said, gets in there, through the, you know, this little sediment through the water, it can wear that, that seal a little bit, this rubber seal. And it does take very much for the water to slip through that seal and start dripping. And that's, I suspect what you have. So, okay, so how do you change that? Well, on that round knob handle you have, you can pry off the center of it and access a screw and you pull off the handle and you eventually can get to the valve behind that brass escutcheon plate you have there. And you'll reveal the entire valve in there and, the, and then you can remove that, turn off the water, of course, and then remove that cartridge, bring it to a, a home center or plumbing supply and get the exact same one. There are like a thousand of these, and that's why I always recommend bringing the old one mm-hmm. with you if you want to try to repair this. If you're looking to replace it anyway, I'd say do none of that and just call a plumber. Go buy a, whatever style or fix or finished fixture you want and just replace if you want to replace the whole thing anyway but for less than ten dollars i would guess maybe twelve dollars you could probably fix this problem so i'm glad you mentioned that i so i have a a, a closet right behind there my biggest concern ever anytime dealing with plumbing is is water right if it's sealed and i don't and it leaks is there any way to like if i decide to kind of tinker with this a little bit that other than busting a hole in the back of the shower like where the closet is to see like how do you typically handle until it's too late right because you're not going to see a leak until you see the floor or the ceiling you can you can replace this or fix it without busting a hole into anything they should be able to you know the plumber will take a look at it he he might he should be able to or might be able to cut out the existing valve and then put Mm -hmm. in a new one okay well, hey, thank you both. Uh, yeah, of course. You can always cut an access panel, by the way, in that closet. And this way, you'll always have access to the back of it. You both have made uh, huge strides in my confidence with helping across the board with the home and outside, inside. So thank you both for Great. your dedication. You're very welcome. Appreciate it. Glad to do it, Mike. Best of luck to you on it. I think it'll be a big success. And thanks so much for being a part of the show today. Perfect. Thank you both. Take care. All right. Have a great weekend. And everybody else, I hope you have a great weekend as well. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. It's Simple Solution time. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Today's homeowner radio. Here are Danny and Joe. Well, it's that time of the show where I can sit back and relax a little bit and let my buddy Joe earn his keep. And he's always shares with us a great simple solution. What do you have for us, Joe? All right, Danny. When you need to paint the edges of an item, like narrow edges, such as like the edge of a shelving unit or shelves themselves, cabinet doors, drawer fronts, anything like that, it's always best to raise the pieces up off your work surface on little stands of some sort so you can paint those edges and they won't, you know, the paint won't stick to the, to the workbench or whatever you're painting on. And so you can make little stands from an egg carton. So you just have to get an empty egg carton. They're usually made out of either styrofoam or paper, essentially cardboard. Use scissors to cut out each of the individual little egg holding cups, right? So you just cut those out and then you turn them upside down 
and place them on the work surface and set the work piece on top. So now it's raised up, you know, whatever that is, a good inch and a half or so. It gives you plenty of room with the workpiece elevated. Now you can very easily and neatly paint around the edges, all four edges, then, of course, the top as well. Oh, that's a great, great, another great simple solution there. It'll solve that problem of any of that uh, paint running down and you not realizing it, having it up right. off the... No, so that's great. And you can see um, a lot of simple solutions, over 550 of them, by going to todayshomeowner.com slash simple solution. Joe, I thought we would run down real quickly this um, part of the um, ROI home remodeling survey that's just been released. And uh, I'd also remind you, you can go to todayshomeowner.com slash radio, and we have a link so that you can see the entire study right there. It's pretty amazing. It's just being released right now. And if you look at the top 10 of the highest average cost recovered nationally on a different project, surprising a lot of people. Garage door replacement is at 100%, and next to that, window wood window replacement, you get 95.5% of your money back. And then next on the list, this would be number three and number four on the return on investment, would be screened in porch, adding a screened in porch. We certainly can understand why that would be an attractive mm-hmm. project. In fiber cement siding replacement. So it's not mm-hmm. installing fiber cement. I thought that was pretty surprising. But anyway, fiber cement siding replacement comes in at number four. And that's probably, you know, where they're replacing a lot of the hardboard siding and other sidings that right. aren't as maintenance free. And so that probably is driving that. Next on the list, vinyl siding replacements. You can expect to get back 91% vinyl window replacement. A lot of people considering replacing their windows with vinyl, 90% sounding pretty good. Sounds really good. Yeah. Of these top 10, by the way, you recoup between 80 and 100%. So these are pretty good. Now, this one I found surprising is the in-ground pool. I often heard that you didn't get much return on your investment, but there you go, in-ground pool, and then a composite deck addition as opposed to a wood deck addition. So a lot of people are, I think the price of composite decking has come down a little bit, so that's why more and more people are adding that to their new deck. And the last two items on the top 10 ROI list, concrete backyard patio comes in at 86.4% return on your investment, wood deck addition. Still up there, 80%. Yep. So, again, this study is so good and so current. This is what today's homeowner is all about right here, is providing you the kind of information that you probably can't find anywhere else. It's brand spanking new. Read more about the survey by going to todayshomeowner.com slash radio. While you're at Today's Homeowner, you can find out where you can see the Today's Homeowner television show in your area. We're all over the country. It's our 25th year. We're having a lot of fun with that, and we have a show I'd love for you to see what we're calling a closet divided. And that's basically a fairly good-sized master bedroom closet. And it had a wall right down the middle. And you guessed it, his on one side, hers on the other. And <laughs> I thought we- you were going to say hers on one side and hers on the other. Yeah, well, well, that's the way it ends up a lot of times. Uh, but uh, they each have different needs and different wants and different amount of uh, um, clothes in those areas. Check out the show this week, and you'll see how we solved the problem, and everybody was happy when it was all said and done. Again, go to todayshomeowner.com and find out where you can see the TV show in your area. Well, that'll pretty much wrap up the first hour of today's Homeowner Radio. I'm Danny Lifford, along with my buddy Joe Trelini. Thanks so much for spending some time with us here on today's Homeowner Radio.